verses 49 through 56. The psalmist writes, Remember your word to your servant, you have given me hope through it. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. The arrogant constantly ridicule me, but I do not turn away from your instruction. Lord, I remember your judgments from long ago and find comfort. Fury seizes me because of the wicked who reject your instruction. Your statutes are the theme of my song during my earthly life. Lord, I remember your name in the night and I obey your instruction. This is my practice. I obey your precepts. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for tonight, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to come together, Lord, and the singing of your words, the praise of who you are, the fellowship, Lord, of this fellowship of faith that you've brought us together in, Lord. We pray for those that are here tonight that don't know you or listening online don't know you, that uh, you would grant them repentance, Lord, to see how glorious and majestic and what a mighty Savior our Christ Jesus is, Lord. We thank you for tonight. We praise your name in Jesus' name. The fight of faith is a fight for life. When the throes of life's unforeseen circumstances come upon you, it is easy to lock up in fear. We just want things to be easy and peaceful. But that isn't the path our Lord took, and he has called us to a life of trust and obedience. When I used to train in Muay Thai kickboxing, there were some songs that I would listen to that would make me feel invincible. If any of you have played sports or you work out or even you've done kickboxing or some kind of martial art, you listen to certain songs that seem to give you more power and strength even though they are just songs. Why is that? Because your mind is caught up in the words or the beat of the song. In some way, the song causes you to transcend your situation. Your fight song comes on and nothing is going to keep you from kicking your foe through the wall. So too, in our Christian walk, we must have a fight song, or more properly put, a life song. See, kickboxing is a momentary event. Our Christian fight is lifelong. And we need to have this song, this life song, before these hard times come. So in our section of text from Psalm 119, David shows us that his life song is the word of the Lord. We may all know that our life song should be the word of the Lord, But how do we apply it to our lives when the enemies of the world confront us? How can we transcend our situation and come out victoriously obedient in Christ? We're going to see David express his comfort in God's promises, culminating in his delight in God's word, which leads to obedience. And this is the outline of David's life song. So if you read with me in verses 49 and 50, David writes, Remember your word to your servant. You have given me hope through it. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. We see that David is asking God to remember his word. And in David's asking the Lord to remember his word, the word that he's using here is something specific to David. It's not like scripture or various texts. It's an utterance or a speech from God to David. Now, he might be referring to 
God's promise to raise up a future king from his bloodline. But ultimately, David knows God's word. He knows who who God is. Therefore, David can ask God for himself to deliver on what he has promised him. Because we have a personal God that listens to us, that hears us. In church, you can't ask God for anything if you do not know who he is. So you've got to be in the word to understand who our God is. And verse 50 is the promise that David is referring to. A promise which gives him life, which brings him comfort in his affliction. So while there's a sense of suspense for David in our text, he shows his confidence in God's word and that his holy, good, and righteous nature means that when David experiences affliction, God's promise, his hope, will bring him life through his affliction. As Pastor Steve talked about in his sermon on Sunday, hope for Christians doesn't pertain to something we may or may not get. Rather, it is guaranteed, guaranteed. In David's emphasis on God's promise giving him life, he's saying that if he didn't have God's promise of deliverance, he would be a dead man. So while in affliction, we are to meditate on God's words because his words give and promise life. Here are a few passages from the New Testament expressing this truth. John 6, 63. Jesus says, The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. James 1.18, James says, By his own choice, speaking of God, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And in 1 Peter 2.2, Peter says, Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, into life. And then my favorite commentator, John Calvin, writes, he says, Hence, if we meditate carefully on his word, we shall live even in the midst of death. Nor will we meet with any sorrow so heavy, for which it will not furnish us a remedy. And if we are bereft of consolation and support in our adversities, the blame must not rest with ourselves. Because despising or overlooking the word of God, we purposely deceive ourselves with vain consolation. God's promise of life is guaranteed for those he calls to those who love him. Verse 51, David says, the arrogant constantly ridicule me, but I do not turn away from your instruction. Two times in this section of Psalms, Psalm 119, excuse me, David references those who are not of God's people. In this text, he calls them the arrogant. These are the proud, those who that persecute the pious. What temptation is David facing here when he says that? He's facing what we call the fear of man. What does scripture say about the fear of man? Psalm 56, 3 through 4 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. Why? What can mere mortals do to me? But David does not give in to that fear. Rather, he fears God and resolves to hold firm to the Lord's instruction. And this passage is quite instructive for us in that this is exactly what the Christian life is training us for, adversity in our own circumstances. We will face pressures and trials in this world, whereby we'll be tempted to listen to our feelings, letting them dictate what we will do. You might think your situation is too hard to be disciplined and be obedient. 
You might even blame God thinking that if he loved you in this situation, this would not be happening to you. But you have a choice. If you listen to your feelings that do not align with what is true according to Scripture and choose your ways rather than God's ways in your desire to seek control and comfort, then you make yourself the center of your worship instead of God as the center of your worship. Here again, Psalm 56, 3-4. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And yourself is included in the mere mortals. Remember that. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 10, 27 to 30. He says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So no one, not even yourself, not even you, can snatch you out of the Son's or the Father's hand. How is that, you might ask? This is one of my favorite passages. Listen to what Peter says in his first letter. He writes in uh, 1 Peter 1, 5 through 6. He says, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. Church, you are being guarded by God's power, which is your faith. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. Even though your circumstances may seem dire or insurmountable to wade through, he will provide the way through it so that you will be able to bear it. And you know what will happen? He will get all the glory, but you will get all the joy. One thing that has been such a joyous, momentous occasion for me is the morning time. I've been struggling quite a bit to to fall asleep. My mind is just going crazy and sometimes it's pretty, the anxiety really sets in. But then I wake up and it's a new day. It's a new day of God's morning mercies. And I just have so much joy in that. It's a little thing, but those little things is what we need to think about. Another day. He gives us a day to reset. And it is so joyous. So I encourage you to really think about your mornings. You've gone through a bad night and think God's grace is good. Verse 52, David says, Lord, I remember your judgments from long ago and find comfort. David is like the blessed man in Psalm 1 who takes comfort in God's word. Let's read from Psalm 1. He writes, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams, that bear its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. David's life was filled with momentous occasions of God delivering him from sin, from his enemies, from various trials. Walking with the Lord day in and day out, David could look back and reflect on God's grace, the grace that he lavished on him repeatedly. God's word recorded these truths, and David, regardless of his situation, could find comfort in the Lord's provision for him. How can we handle fear 
and find comfort in the Lord. After all, David is, has a, a mountaintop perspective, which God has given us. Though we are in this world, we are in the city of man, as it's been called, we actually belong in the city of God. And therefore, though we are here in the darkness, we have light and we can see our destiny. But Philippians 4, through, 4, 4 through 9, I want to take you guys through, is a great text to look over and apply to our lives of how we can actually handle fear and find comfort in the Lord. Philippians 4, 4 through 9 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And that's quite a bit, but we're going to go verse by verse to walk through it. So verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Paul says twice to rejoice. That's emphasizing what? How important it is to rejoice. If we don't start rejoicing, we will most likely start with complaining. If we don't start with rejoicing, we will start with complaining. So what can you rejoice in? How about your salvation? Here's Psalm 40, verse 4. It says, I'm sorry, 70, verse 4. It says, Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, God is great. God is great. Verse 5. Resolve to be gentle and patient. As Christians, we should be exercising graciousness to everyone, regardless of who they are or what you think about them. Why is that? It models our Savior, who was slapped, spit on, beat up, and ultimately crucified, yet all the while was gracious to everyone. Why is that? He was being obedient to the Father, knowing that his steps, regardless of the situation, were determined for glory. The Father's will for the Son was determined for glory. So when God has all things waiting for us, why should we not be gracious to all people? Looking at verse 5. Remember that the Lord is near. Remember the Lord is near. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified, terrified or afraid. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. And then one of my favorites here in 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. The Lord is out there. He is everywhere present, wanting to will and to work for you. We should relish in the fact that God is everywhere present in the thick of it with us supplying us the grace and the power to overcome what Jesus has already conquered. God just wants us to step out in faith and take what he's already secured for us. Verse 6, refuse to be fearful about anything. We have nothing to fear when we know that the Lord, sorry, we have nothing to fear 
when we know that the, what the Lord has determined for us. There's a, a saying among us pastors, we are bulletproof until the Lord calls us home, right? No bullet can touch you until the Lord calls you home. But here how Paul closes Romans, his letter to Romans. He says in 16, verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush, crush Satan under your feet. Your feet. So God is going to work in you to crush Satan. He's going to redeem you. He's going to bring new creatures into the kingdom every step, crushing Satan along the way. And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Verses 6 and 7 together here. Rely on prayer. Our lives should be a continuous stream of prayers to the Lord. As one of my favorite pastors would say often, he says, prayer is the open line of communication like a walkie-talkie that we as soldiers in the battlefield have with the five-star general that is always on. The radio is never off. It's always on for us. But God is infinitely greater than any general, and his communication will never, ever cease, no matter where we are at. So we pray in every circumstance, making specific prayers to him. No matter if you struggle saying the words or articulating it, the thoughts are there, and that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit understands for us. So God knows what is going on. And then in praying with a thankful heart, God promises peace. He promises peace that will what? Surpass all understanding, guarding your hearts and minds in Christ. That last phrase for me is such a comforting thing to know. It doesn't say it might. He says, he will. He promises that the peace will surpass all understanding, guarding the heart and the mind. And I know that I struggle with these intrusive thoughts and I want peace. I want my, my mind to be guarded in Christ. Because what is, the, what is being guarded is false ideology. It's false thinking. It's you believing lies. But you actually confess those things to him, and he will bring you joy by guarding your heart and your mind from the false thinking. <clears throat> Verse 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rest your mind on whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. Our fallen nature is weak, but the spirit is willing. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.2, he says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So what are some excellent and praiseworthy things above that you can set your mind on? Well, I think all the time God is good, God is gracious, that our Christ, as Pastor Steve preached about, is seated at the right hand of God, having defeated death, in which he intercedes for us, with the Father, so that all your sins, my sins, your failings, my failings, which we would stand, stand condemned for, Christ speaks on our behalf to the Father. And as far as the east is from the west, so our sins are from us in the Lord's sight. And in knowing that, we choose joy in giving adoration and praise to God. We set our minds on those things because that's where we belong. That is our home. In verse 9, reach out and practice what is good. Righteous actions produce righteous desires. Righteous actions produce righteous desires. 
You see, the pitfall of getting stuck in self-worship and self-pity is you cannot see past yourself or your circumstances. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because we know that God causes all things to work together for good, then our situation should not hinder us from obedience. And in thankfulness, we practice what we have learned. Right? The practice has to follow the understanding of God's word. One thing that I try to do quite often, which is helpful for me, is when I'm in these moments and I'm just so focused on myself, I go to my prayer list on my desk and I start praying for people that I've been talking throughout the week, praying and praying. And it's amazing how there is that peace in that. God is getting glorified because you are focusing on what we should be doing as believers. And in those moments, I'm not thinking about myself. It's too easy to think about ourselves. We do it without even thinking about it. That's who we are. But when we actually act in righteousness, the more you do those things, the more you act in righteousness, those desires will continue to fill up in your heart and mind to do that regularly. And before you know it, you're not thinking about yourself as often. Now, I still think about myself, but I'm just saying, that's the practice that you want to get yourself to. In verse 53, David writes, Fury seizes me because of the wicked who reject your instruction. This verse is the other passage when David speaks of those who are not God's people, referring to them as the wicked. And they infuriate him because of how they loathe the word of God. Now, obviously, we don't hold the world in contempt. They are of the world and need the gospel. But there were many in David's day who apostatized or they turned from the faith. And in their hatred of the word, in David, this produced an ardent zeal of holy indignation against them. But members, believers, we don't act vengefully against our enemies or those that turn from the faith. Now, we no longer call them brother or sister, and we part ways with them. And those people, those folks that have turned from the Lord, they need to feel the searing of their flesh and being handed back over to the world and the devil, which hopefully, hopefully God will grant them repentance to come back to the faith. In verse 54, David writes, Your statutes are the, same, are the theme of my song during my earthly life. Again, your statutes are the theme of my song during my earthly life. For David, as we've been seeing in Psalm 119, I mean, Psalm 119 is all about rejoicing in the word. For David, the law of the Lord was something he treasured. And when you treasure something, what is the highest form of praise that you can exhibit? Singing. Singing is the highest form of praise and joy. Try to sing when you're upset or mad. doesn't sound very good. But you can't help but express your joy through singing about something that you have great delight in. So the theme for our lives in Christ should be gratitude. Gratitude toward the Savior who died for a wretch like me. Now some of you may have a life verse that you, that you cherish. One of my favorite passages, which I think highlights this very well, is Colossians 3.16, when Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You see, letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us means a life overflowing with the abundant riches of who Christ is. And what he's done for us. And then these are then manifest in wisdom, in admonishment, 
of others through your life song. People want to know, why are you singing about God? The theme of our life song should be Christ and him crucified. The gospel is the good news. How is that not the best life song that we could have? It should be the theme of our lives. While we are here, the gospel is what we cling to and what we proclaim to the world. <clears throat> and as mentioned earlier, our circumstances will change. So you must have this life song. So if, you're hidden, if your life is hidden with Christ, no matter where or what your circumstances are, the gospel should be that theme of our life song. And why is that? That is the only way to have joy no matter what comes your way. My wife shows her life song when she responds to folks that say, Hi, how are you doing? And she says, Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. Does that not bring you right back to the gospel? We know what's in our hearts. We know what's in our minds. And we know what we do deserve. But Christ's goodness that he's lavished upon us, we get what we shouldn't deserve. Verse 55. David says, Lord, I remember your name in the night and I obey your instruction. Nighttime for David seemed to be hard for him. As I mentioned for myself, it's been very challenging for me these last few months. And the Lord is doing quite a work in me that stretches me to the point where I feel like I cannot take another minute. But as with all things, it passes. Like I mentioned, it passes. That's a gift. Time, in a sense, is a gift that things pass. They may come back again, but you get these moments to breathe. You get these moments to reflect on God's goodness. So in the moments of strife and despair, remembering the good name of the Lord guides me towards obedience of his word. And I want to encourage you all to read Psalm 4. It's a, a wonderful nighttime prayer that I go through um, if you do struggle with just going to sleep at night and just dealing with your thoughts. Um, I think David uh, probably said it quite often. And then finally in verse 56, David says, This is my practice. I obey your precepts. I already mentioned this back in verse 52, but it needs to be mentioned again. Our practice should be one of obedience to the Lord's commands. You must not think obedience merits salvation. Rather, obedience is the fruit of faith. Let me say that again. You must not think your obedience merits salvation. Rather, obedience is the fruit of faith. To those who belong to Christ, who have been made children of God by his will, they will hear his voice and obediently follow him. That is what pours out of those that belong to God, is obedience. Paul writes in Romans 13, 14, <clears throat> excuse me, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul knows the flesh will always seek its own gratification. And by seeking its own gratification, he says it produces death in us. Following the flesh produces death in us. That is why he says we must put on the Lord Christ. We must put on the Lord Christ because our flesh is so easily pleased. But the flesh doesn't bear pleasing fruit to the Lord, no matter how good it feels in the moment. Rather, it bears fruit for death. Because the flesh and the spirit or at war. And the only way to kill the flesh is to put on the spirit of Christ, to put on the armor of God. 
Do not come out from the hidden safety of Christ to battle the flesh. You will fail. Stay hidden in Christ because he is your life. Only in him will you be faithful. So the unrighteous deeds that you do, you replace those with righteous deeds. And you continue to do those putting off and putting on. Putting off and putting on. Church, our life song, who is Christ, is our fight song. Our life song, who is Christ, is our fight song. And those of you that are here tonight that don't have a fight song because you don't know Christ, you will be in utter, utter, dire circumstances facing him, facing the Lord. Right now, you're probably going through various circumstances that you don't know what to do with it. But the Lord is reaching out. The Lord sends his word to you to repent. It all starts in the heart. You have a heart issue. We, as human creatures, have a heart issue that needs to be cleansed, that has to be redeemed. There has to be a new nature given to it. Whatever you're doing, you're just going to be going round and round in circles, getting nowhere. You cannot fight alone. You can only fight in Christ. So I encourage you that are listening that don't know Christ, that you repent. You repent of your sin and put your trust in him and make him your life song. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time again, Lord. I just pray, Lord, I just pray for your spirit to be upon all those at Sovereign Way, Lord, that you are encouraging them, that you are giving them the fight song they need to battle all the dire circumstances that if they are not in now, they will be facing them soon. And even when they get out of these circumstances, more will come. And so our fight has to be a lifelong battle. It has to be one we are where we are hidden in Christ through the thick of it. Lord, I thank you that you've given us the means to fight sin, to kill sin, and to ultimately glorify you, Lord. And then, Father in heaven, I pray that those that don't know you, that you grant them a heart of repentance, Lord. That you give them a new spirit, Lord. That you take out that heart of stone and give them that heart of flesh that beats for you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, church. You are dismissed.